how awesome is the gospel of Jesus Christ that it can snatch somebody from death's grip in the 11th hour? It's a powerful gospel. I have to tell you, too, that after the first service, I know of at least one individual who heard the gospel and trusted in Christ this morning, first service, a young person who didn't have to wait till the very end. And so we need to give God glory for that, too, how he works with the gospel. So... You know, Steve Kellerman, he, he finished well, but he had a hard road leading up to the finish line. And when he passed from this life, he had hope in a resurrected Savior. But he spent his whole life searching for hope. So our sermon this morning is going to follow a similar path. We're going to end with a bright hope in the resurrection. But we're going to take a little bit of a dark road to get there. And the reason that I want to do that is because I think there's a lot of people that can identify with Steve Kellerman's story. Many people spend their life ignoring truths that they've been confronted with, and from time to time they wonder about it, but they kind of push those truths down. It's, it, it's easier than thinking about life and death and these type of things. But for Steve Kellerman, there came a moment as life was slipping away that he finally embraced the truth. Romans 1, if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, very first chapter. Now, if you're new to Bethel, I want to let you know what we like to do is work through a book of the Bible. And so recently, we started going through the book of Romans. And so far, it has been incredible. It has been intense. One of the things that we've seen Paul already explain in Romans 1 is this, and I believe that every single person in this room would agree with this, and that is that our world is messed up. Our world is messed up. Just this last week, there was a news story that broke. I don't know if you saw it, but it was was reporting on the disturbing volume of fan mail that is being sent to the Parkland school shooter. A ton of love letters from seemingly ordinary teenage girls uh, who are infatuated with him. So what kind of world do we live in where a murderer is become the hero? Well, according to Paul in this text in chapter 1, it's the kind of world where people have decided to live apart from God. They have decided that they want to live as if God doesn't exist. And when you live that way, you have a world like the one that we live in. People refuse to give God the glory that he deserves, and the Bible calls this sin. This theme has continued in our passage this morning. We're going to zero in on verse 24 and 25. I want to read a little bit more than that to give you some context. This is a letter that Paul wrote in the first century to Christians living in Rome under the Roman Empire. And so he's writing to them. We're going to look at verse 24 and 25, but follow along as I read starting in verse 18. It'll be up on the screen as well. Let's see what God's word says. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine Nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is God's word. We begin this morning by considering the fiction of freedom. The fiction of freedom. Most people today are living with the assumption that they can live however they want, they can live independent from God, from His authority, and do what they want for as long as they want. And their thinking goes kind of like this. There probably isn't a God, but if there is, He's distant, He's disengaged, He's disinterested. On the off chance that He does care about what I do, surely He's love, He's benevolent, He's gracious. I mean, God is love, right? And God is love. I mean, we could go to countless scriptures where we see that God is love in Romans and in other passages. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we also saw that God is in the process of making things right. God's not okay with the fact that the world isn't okay. And he's working out a plan. He is doing everything For his purpose, there is a reason for everything that happens in the universe. But so far, in our study of Romans, the attributes of God that have been highlighted, you can just kind of glance through the text, they're his righteousness, his wrath, his judgment. And consider especially now verse 24. If you look at 24, notice the first five words here. Therefore, God gave them up. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. What does that mean? Therefore, God gave them up. Well, surely it doesn't mean that God gave up on people, right? I mean, Easter of all things teaches us that God did not give up on humanity. What it does mean, though, is that if people decide to run away from God, to go do their own thing, to say, no, God, I want to live for what I want to live for, there comes a point in which God gives them up over to that. To experience the natural outworking of their decisions, of their sin. Don't make the mistake of assuming that God is not there. That God is passively just watching. God is actively at work. God has actively consigned them to their sin, consigned them to what they're doing. And maybe I can explain it this way. Let's say you're at the water park with your kids, all right? And they want to go on the lazy river again, okay? So you take child A and child B down to the lazy river. They have names, but it's just easier this way, okay? Child A, child B. And what do you have to do as a parent? You have to wait for the tube that, you know, the empty tube. And the teenagers just keep going around and fooling around. You're waiting for that tube. Okay, you get the first tube. You put child A in the tube. And you're holding on to child A while you're waiting for the next tube to put child B in. And all the while, while you're holding child A, the the current is wanting to take him away down the lazy river, but you're holding fast, you're holding that child firm. 
And this is God restraining the rebellion of man's heart. The only thing is, the rebellion in man's heart isn't a lazy river. It's a class six rapid, and it's, it's flowing away from God, rushing away from God, what God wants. And God's holding. God's restraining. But there comes a point where God will allow us to go our way, allow us to go down that path. But he's active. He's still active. He's still in control of the rapids. He knows what's happening. And perhaps in your life recently, things have started to get a little worse. And you've been kind of wondering why. Why are things getting even worse now? And you, you didn't know. But maybe as you hear this sermon, you're starting to think, what if it's because I have run away from God? What if it's because for so long I have said no to God that he has given me over to that? And now I'm experiencing the natural outworking of my sin. And you're finding that this is not the freedom that you thought it would be. Running away from God and all of a sudden now you're saying, this isn't what I thought it would be. See, when we're sinning, it feels like we're in control. It feels like we are independent of God. It feels like we can do this as long as we want to. But that is a fiction. That is not true. Nothing that happens in our life. Nothing that we do is outside of God's control, outside of God's sovereignty. Yeah, he allows us to walk away from his path, but never without purpose, never without notice, he's allowing us to do that. I want you to look at the end of verse 24 here. The end of verse 24, the the inevitable result of God giving us up to our own devices is the dishonoring of our bodies really important point for you and I to get this morning. We cannot disobey God and remain unscathed. Here's what happens. In our attempt to dishonor God, we've actually dishonored ourselves. We thought we were dishonoring God, but in reality, we were dishonoring ourselves. And that's the exact opposite of what we were trying to do. We were trying to please ourselves. We were trying to do things for ourselves. And what has happened as we, we have dishonored ourselves. But this explains the guilt, right? The guilt that people feel. It's not just the moral voice of your parents or your pastors. Now, there's something deep inside of you that says, this isn't right. I, I don't think I was meant to live this way. It's because you're doing what you were not created to do. It's kind of like if you were to eat junk food all the time, right? Your body would not feel very good. I remember being a high school student and, and having a summer job, worked with a couple friends, uh, made concrete statues. That's besides the point, okay? And in the, in the break room, in the lunchroom, one day somebody brought in an entire pan of not Rice Krispie treats, but Fruity Pebble treats. And the person who made them OD'd on like sugar and butter and I don't even know what they put in it but it was one of the most sweet terrible things I've ever tasted and if you ask my wife that's pretty bad for me to say it was so sweet it was terrible it was so bad that no one would eat it but my buddy says hey Mark 20 bucks eat the whole pan what do you think I did 20 bucks man game on so I ate the whole pan And about 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, I'm sitting there and I have what I can only describe as a sugar coma. I don't know what it was. I felt horrible. My boss 
was ticked. He said, Mark, you are no good to me. Go home. Get out of here. So I made 20 bucks, but my employer lost money that day. Some of us have been filling our life with proverbial junk food. Doing whatever we want, engaging in whatever behavior we want, thinking that it's going to be okay, that, that we can do that and get away with it. This is fiction. It does not work out that way. Do not believe the lie that you can do whatever you want with no consequences. What happens is we actually dishonor ourselves. Sin strips us of our humanity. It robs us of the beauty that God tended to give us. Robert Mount said it this way. Sin is a virus that invades the human soul and takes its toll throughout a person's entire being. That's well said. And in verse 24, this word impurity, you can see it in the text, this word impurity, it is often, most often, in fact, connected with sexual immorality. Throughout Scripture, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, other passages, it often links it with the Greek word porneia, now, in the last 10 years, there has been significant progress made in the realm of neuroscience. And they've studied all kinds of things. One of the things that they've studied is the connection between pornography and the effect on the human brain. How does a porn addiction affect the brain? And what they've discovered is it actually messes with the neuropathways. It, 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 it builds new channels and it, it actually changes our physical being. Now, I don't know if there's a better illustration for Romans 124 than that. Because here's a person who is choosing impurity, feeling like they are free, but with every click and with every scroll, what they're actually doing is they're dishonoring their bodies. They're dishonoring themselves. Sin turns us into a shell of the person that we were meant to be. That freedom is a fiction. It's not true. The only way to truly be free from sin is to realize that we have been duped by a conspiracy. And we have to repent from that. We have to say, God, I am sorry for this grand conspiracy against our Creator. Look at verse 25 again with me. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You ever find yourself watching one of those conspiracy theory shows? It's all right, you can admit it. I've watched those too. I, I'd ask this morning how many conspiracy theorists we have here, but you probably won't tell us, right? How, how many of you get caught up in this stuff? I was learning this last week that apparently there are a lot of conspiracy theories about the Denver airport. Yeah, there's a bunch of symbols in the airport, and there's even a Masonic inscription somewhere, and... Kind of reminded me of National Treasure, you know. But some people believe that there is an underground city underneath the Denver airport where the Illuminati meets, where important people meet, this kind of thing. I don't know about the Denver airport, all right? But I know that in every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who is walking away from God and saying, I will live my life how I want to, there is an underground city in their heart. Their hearts, according to Scripture, are darkened. There's a conspiracy going on inside of them they might not even be aware of because lies have kept it hidden this whole time. Today, this Easter Sunday, is the day to uncover that conspiracy, to realize what we have been living for. 
So I'm going to give you a truth and a lie this morning, all right? A truth and a lie. The truth is this. The creator is God and creation is good. The creator is God and creation is good. And that's what Romans 1 says. If you read through this text, you look at verse 19. It talks about how God can be seen all over creation. Throughout the universe, there are mirrors that are reflecting the glory of God everywhere you look. We were in uh, Chicago on Thursday. We got a chance to go to the zoo and the conservatory. One of the things I love about those places is in one location, you have all of these reflections of the beauty and the glory of God assembled in one place from all over the world, right? All these flowers and plants from all over the world, all these animals from all over the world. Seems kind of unnatural when you think about it, but it's pretty amazing. You can walk through, you can see the handiwork of God. God made lions and he made flamingos and he made polar bears and the Madagascar hissing cockroach and he made all of these things to reflect his glory. Now my family decided when we were at the exhibit for the naked mole rats that God made them to display his humor, right? Hilarious, you just got to go see him. When you go through the conservatory, you see all of these flowers. You see tulips and you see snapdragons and you see African lilies. And I, I love that Easter is always near the springtime. Where while we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, there are these little images of resurrection just starting to emerge in some of your yards. Just starting to see the tips of the, what will be these flowers. Pictures of resurrection. You know, when God made this earth, when he made this creation, all of that, all the animals, all the beauty, he said these words, he says, it is good. And then he gave to mankind the responsibility of enjoying creation and cultivating it and being in dominion over it. So we can splash in the ocean or Lake Michigan around here. We can run through a field with our kids. We can build homes and we can cut our grass and we can drink coffee while we're watching the sunset. And all of that sounds awesome. So where does it go wrong? And what's the problem? Well, the problem is when we exchange this truth for a lie. The truth is God, the creator is God and creation is good. But what happens is we, we exchange that truth for a lie. Here's the lie. Creation is God and the creator is irrelevant. So if the truth is The creator is God and creation is good. Then the lie is that creation is God and the creator might as well be irrelevant. So when we take the good things that God has given us, all of creation, and we make them ultimate things, things that we derive our meaning from, they functionally become our God. Verse 25 says that most of humanity worships and serves the creature rather than the creator. This is what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve fell for the very first lie. I mean, think about their situation. They, of all people, had a connection with the Creator, right? They knew the Creator in an intimate way. They walked through the garden with Him. They, of all people, enjoyed creation. And they enjoyed creation like we never will this side of heaven. All of that. Yet they failed to keep creation in its proper place. They had everything with one prohibition. One no in the middle of a thousand yeses and they lusted after what they could not have. 
They wanted creation rather than the creator. The ultimate slap in the face. Paul uses these words rather than in our scriptures here. It's the word para. Think parallel. And so it could read like this. They worshiped and served the creature alongside the creator. But the ESV and other translations, they translate this well because any attempt to worship a created thing alongside of, parallel to the creator will inevitably result in worshiping the created thing instead of the creator rather than the creator because there is only one God. He does not share his glory with another. This is convicting to me this last week. I'm preparing this sermon. I'm thinking, you know, what things in my life, good things that God has given me, Am I making ultimate things? Am I making something that I find my identity out of? All of us can struggle with this. Most Americans today, they want the gifts that the creator gives, but they don't want the giver. They want the gifts, but they don't want the giver. The stuff of this earth, it's enjoyable. It can be experienced. But God, he seems existential, irrelevant. How many people are driving by our gathering here this morning, every minute, and they're looking over, seeing all these cars, thinking, what a waste of time. People who are too consumed with created things to consider the creator. Well, why choose creation? Why do people do this? The text says that they choose the creature, the created things, rather than the creator. Why? I mean, Pastor Steve did a great job last week explaining the lunacy of exchanging the glory of God for idols. And we could say the same thing about exchanging or trading the truth for a lie. But why do people do it? I'll give you a couple of reasons this morning. First, it's less frightening. Created things make a far less intimidating God than the, the God, the holy God in Romans 1. You read this text? That's a God that puts fear in your heart. Now, if we live for our car and we fail to wax our car this month, we do not fear the wrath of our car. When we think about God, we have this fear. And so every, every created thing that we worship can kind of be manipulated, controlled. E- even an idolatrous relationship does not carry the same threat as the God who made me, the God who created my being, That is kind of scary. And so we like created things because we're less frightened. We feel better about ourselves. We don't feel guilty. We don't feel the fear of God. We also choose created things because we get to maintain control. We like to fashion and customize our idols. When we decide to worship a created thing, we get to choose when and how we quote-unquote worship. With God, we don't get to do that. God doesn't... Uh, God God isn't going to be fashioned by us. We can't just decide, oh, I'm going to worship you, God, this way. I want you to be this. I want you to be that. No, we can't control God, but we can control created things. And so we choose created things over the creator. Another one, they exist for our pleasure. We think about created things, they exist for our pleasure. We, We take that good gift that God gives us. And if we take that good gift and we divorce it from the giver, Now it becomes all about us. It is an idol that ends up serving us. Instead of serving a god, our gods serve us. They become our crutch. They become our comfort. They're meeting our needs. 
But worshiping the creator is just the opposite. Worshiping the creator means I am here on this earth to bring glory to the creator. I am here on this earth to make much of him. It's all about him. I exist for his good pleasure. That's not as palatable to us, right? So we choose the created things over the creator. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. What is the truth about God in Romans 1? The truth about God in Romans 1 is that he is holy and he demands from us who are sinners that we bow our hearts and we bend our knees and worship him. But the lie doesn't require us to do anything that we don't want to do. So we choose created things. So we understand, we get why living for created things is attractive. We, we get why people choose to do that. But we have to remember that these are lesser gods. These are a lie. It's a fiction. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we have been duped by a conspiracy. So we need to repent. Verse 22, confess that we have futile minds, darkened hearts. Say, God, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of believing lies about you. We must choose the creator over creation. So why choose the creator? Why this Easter Sunday can I implore you to choose the creator over creation? Well, first, because he is truth and he is not a lie. The creator is truth and he is not a lie. Let's just start with that. I mean, he knows how we were intended to live. If he created us and he designed us, he knows how life works. And he tells us right here how life works. So we choose the creator over creation because he is truth and he is not a lie. I mentioned earlier that sexual sin degrades us. It it strips us of our humanity. But you know the opposite is true as well. God honoring sex for the married and celibacy for the single person, they actually dignify our body. They restore our humanness. See, God knows how we're made. God knows how we're designed to live. Now, if you're sick this morning of living for lies, today is the day for you to embrace the truth. The conspiracy has been uncovered. Easter is a fabulous day to say enough of that. I choose the creator. I choose the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. John 14. Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. So choose the creator because he's truth. He's not the lie. Second, he's revealing himself to you. God is revealing himself to you, and not just right now in this moment as he is, but he's been revealing himself to you your whole life. Everything that's happened in your life up to this point has been him revealing himself to you. That time that you laid on your back and you, you saw the brilliance of the constellations against the velvet night sky. Or the time that you saw your child take her first breath. Or when you saw your loved one take their last. God was there. God was revealing himself to you, calling to you. God loves you. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to surrender to him. That's what everything has been leading up to. Him calling you. Even those times when he gave you up, as Romans says, he gave you up to go your own way. It was so that you would come to the end of yourself. He'd realize that I'm serving lies, that I'm living 
for lies and that you would repent and run to him into open arms. If God only gave us up and that was the end of the story, then this would be a dark story indeed. But that is not where the story ends. Because later in the book of Romans, this same phrase, God gave them up, is used in Romans 8. And God says this, He, this is God, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him give us all things? Do you understand what what God is saying? That, That God, yes, He gives us over, He gives us up to our sin, but that's not the end of the story. God gave His Son up for you. God gave His Son over for you. Yes, we are given up to sin, but Jesus was given up to save. So there's a reason right there. He, the creator, gave up his son for you. That's what we just remembered on Good Friday when we thought about the cross. God did not consign us to our sin with no hope, with no way out. He made a way by becoming the way. God delivered Jesus over to death. And God delivered Jesus over to death for all, for all who will trust in Jesus Christ, who will repent and say, Jesus died the death that I should have died. Friday at the last song, I was standing in front of the cross while we were singing, and it just kind of hit me, I should have been on that cross. I should pay the price for my sin. But Jesus, he stood in my place. The Father gave up his son over to sin for me. That isn't even the end of the story. Here's the final reason you should worship the creator rather than created things. And that is this. All creatures die, but Jesus lives forever. All creatures die, Jesus lives forever. Jesus did what no one or nothing could ever do. And that is bear the weight of our sin and live to tell about it. If you look back in the beginning of this chapter of Romans 1... Verse 3 and 4, we read about this resurrection. And this is what it says, verse 3, it's up on the screen as well. Concerning his son, that's Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he resurrected from the dead, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God in power. He was shown to everyone to be the Son of God in power. Now the day in which Jesus lived was not that different from ours. There were people in his day who were duped by the conspiracy of sin. People who exchanged the truth for a lie. Those people had the truth, capital T, living in their midst, walking among them, teaching them. And yet they chose to believe a lie, and that lie is that Jesus was simply a carpenter with a teaching gift. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus is so much more than just a great carpenter who was a great teacher who did some interesting things. The the Bible says here in verse 4 that Jesus is Lord, and the reason that we know he's Lord is because he resurrected from the dead. Only the Lord does that. Only God himself can resurrect from the, the dead. And so he proves himself to be, yes, human, yes, man, but also God, the God-man. Now, this is a big deal. If you're in here this morning, you're kind of like, you know, what's the big deal? People 
all excited and raising their hands and all this stuff. Well, this is the big deal. The big deal is that Jesus' resurrection proves that he is God. That he is God, not just an ordinary man. That as God, he is eternal. And he is fundamentally different from every other thing in the universe. Think about it this way. You could divide everything into two categories. Okay, so let's say here's the one category of creator. And here's the other category of creation. Everything fits into one of those two categories. There is God, God who has eternally existed, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God. Everything other than God is in creation. Whenever you or I look to a created thing for our value, for our rescue, for our significance, whether it be a car, a house, a vacation destination, even a pastor or a church, and we look to that for our salvation, for our meaning in life, we're, we have a problem. We have a problem because we are going to be disappointed every single time. There is only one God. Everything else is creation. And the reason that we're going to be disappointed is because everything in this category has the same limitation. A limitation that God does not have. We all age and we will all die one day. Our cars break down. Our houses need new floors. That vacation wasn't what you thought it would be. Even the universe itself that we are in right now is slowing down. But here's the beautiful truth about, uh, about Easter. I almost said Christmas. Easter, okay? <laughs> the beautiful truth about Easter is this. The only thing that is not subject to the laws of entropy and decay and death is Jesus Christ and God. God is eternal. God is not subject to those same laws, to those same limitations. So anything we trust in over here, anything that's created, is going to fail us, it's going to disappoint us. Even ourselves, sometimes we trust in ourselves. I just want to be a good person. I want to, I want to be moral, and, and hopefully if I'm a good person, I go to church enough, that God should let me into heaven. Hey, you're trusting in something that will fail. We will all one day die. We are limited, but God the creator, Jesus Christ, is eternal. He's outside of those laws. He's not bound by entropy or death. And in verse 25, it says that God will be blessed forever. Jesus lives today. Right now, Jesus lives. He created life, and he existed before he created he existed before death entered the world, and death could not eliminate him. He's worthy of our worship, whereas verse 25 says, he is blessed forever. And I want you to know this morning that those words are true. Those words are true whether you recognize them or you ignore them. That Jesus Christ, right now is alive. He's at the, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for those of us who are his children. He's a go-between. That's true right now. God is eternal. He will be blessed forever, whether you recognize that or you ignore that. Now, if this be true, if this is true that Jesus rose from the dead, then that has massive implications for you and for me. It goes like this. God is creator. We are creature. God is infinite. We are finite. God will live forever and ever and ever and ever, but we know deep down in our bones 
that one day we will physically die. God is perfect without sin, but we, we are filled with sin. And all of this adds up to despair, unless we consider this, that Jesus, the creator, became the creature. That Jesus, the infinite, became finite. That Jesus, who was perfect, who never sinned one time, became filled with our sin on that cross. That Jesus is the God-man. Yes, he is a man, but yes, he is God. And he proved himself to be the Son of God in power. The only human creature we should ever worship. Don't believe the lie that all you see, that what you see is all there is. You know deep down that that's not true. You have questions. You've wondered things. It's got to be more than the stuff of this earth, right? That freedom that you expected, it's been, become apparent that it's fictional. You can't seem to, to grasp satisfaction. You can't seem to ever truly be free. You know in your heart that there's more than simply what you see around you. The freedom of earthly things is fictional, but the freedom in the Son of God who rose from the grave is real. It's real. 1 John 5.20, this is what God's word says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So this, this morning, this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate eternal life, as we celebrate our risen Savior, I implore you, wherever you are in your journey, maybe up to this point you have been trusting in created things. Maybe you've been trusting in yourself. That's not going to work. It's a lie. Today is the day to uncover that conspiracy, to trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. Maybe You've not been religious trying to work on yourself. You've been running as far away as you could from God. You've been ignoring God. You've been thinking, yeah, there might be a God, but I just don't want to think about that right now. That's not, that's not where I am. And God's allowed you to do that. He's given you over to that. However, I want you to consider the fact that he's not absent. He is here. That he is speaking to you. That he gave up his son for you. That he loves you. So today is the day to just say, enough, enough fighting. Like Steve's testimony that we heard. Enough of the fighting. You don't have to wait to the 11th hour. Today, right now, you can be free. You can say, I'm done with the, the underground city of my heart. I just, I give it over to God. I recognize that he is truth, that Jesus Christ is truth, and I trust in this Savior. And you will experience life like you've never experienced before. Eternal life, but also life now. Now all your problems don't go away. In fact, as a Christian, you often have problems. But something happens where now all of a sudden you are free. For the very first time in your life, you're free. You realize that I don't have to do my own thing anymore. It's not been working out for me anyway. I repent, I give that up, and I turn to Christ.